Good morning. Appreciate you being here today. Hope you've had a great weekend so far. I'm glad you can start a new week with us here at Great Oaks with God's people worshiping Him. For those of you that are visiting with us, thank you for being here. We have the name Church of Christ on our sign because we're trying to simply be followers of Jesus Christ as best we can. And we would love for you to join us in that goal of trying to give our whole heart and soul to following Jesus Christ. So if you have any questions about us, if we can help you in any way, please, please let us know. Before we jump into the lesson, we have a new family to introduce. The Brock family, Philip and Brooke. I saw you. Where are you sitting? There you are. If y'all could stand just a second, let everybody see you. This is Philip and Brooke. If you haven't got a chance to meet them yet, please do that. Uh, they are newlyweds. They just graduated from Freed Harmon University and were married in July, I believe. Um, Philip is from McMinnville, Tennessee, and here in Memphis studying optometry at the Southern College of Optometry. Brooke is from Bowling Green, Kentucky, and is teaching first grade in Covington. And they've already been part of our 20s get-togethers on Sunday nights, and uh, people really appreciate them. And again, I, I said it with, with one of our newer members a couple weeks ago, it's just encouraging to me to see, even in a tough time, people moving to a new place and saying, I need to find a church family that I can get plugged in with and serve the Lord. And so we appreciate them very much. Meet them if you hadn't, haven't had a chance to do that yet. We're going to spend this week and next week with just a brief two-week series that I've called Still on Mission, and I hope it makes sense. I hope it will be encouraging. Let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get into it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for a beautiful Lord's Day, a day that you've made, a day that your people come together all over the world to worship. God, I pray that our worship has been heartfelt and has truly lifted you up this morning, and I pray our lesson will do the same. God, I pray that what is said will be what you want to be said, and I pray that we'll be encouraged by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're at that stage in life where we have a lot of kids in our house pretty regularly. Uh, we have three kids. They're all still pretty much at the age. We like to run around and play and that sort of thing. They have friends in the neighborhood, and so the friends from the neighborhood often come over to the house as well. They like to have their cousins over, and so the cousins often come over to the house as well. And so it's not unusual for there to be a lot of kids in our house. And some, there's pros and cons to that, as you might imagine. Uh, sometimes it's noisier than you'd like it to be, and we have to try to calm that down. Sometimes you've got to referee things more than you'd like to, and so we've got to deal with that. But there's a lot, of, a lot of that that we really enjoy. And there's some things that happen that just make us smile. Uh, one of those that happens semi-regularly, is Aaron and I will be sitting in the kitchen, and the kids will be in the house somewhere, and so the background buzz of, of children is just going on, and then you'll hear a voice above the rest of them, and it will have an idea. Perhaps, let's go outside and build a fort in the garage, and if the idea hits on the right day, that idea will be followed by, yay, that's a great idea. And then you'll hear the stampede coming through the house. Doom, 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 doom. And we'll be sitting in the kitchen. And they'll rush past us cheering and smiling and banging through the back door. And off they go. And after the stampede rushes by, it never fails. Aaron and I will look at each other and smile or have a, have a comment about it. it just, it's fun, I guess, to us to see kids being kids and having fun. It's also fun to see them embarking on this mission that they're excited about. I think that's what's behind all those cheers as they rush out the kitchen door. We're going we're gonna to make the best fort ever out in the garage. Or we're going to stop all the bad guys from getting in our secret base. 
or we're going to make the best bike ramp we've ever made before. They're excited to rush off on a mission. I think even as you get older, it's exciting to have a mission. It's exciting to feel like you're, you're going somewhere and you have a purpose. It may be, I'm going to start exercising again. And here's my plan and off I go. I want to, I want to lose some weight. Here's my plan. Off I go. I'm going to, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to go to a, to a new school program. I'm going to take a different job. Whatever it is, it's exciting to feel like we have a, a mission. When Jesus Christ built his church, and remember Jesus built it, he said, on this rock I will build my church. The church wasn't man's idea. The church was Jesus' idea. When he built it, he gave it a mission. Gave us a mission to carry on his work, to do the things he did and hopefully do them with each other. And that's exciting when we really let that sink in. You know, sometimes, sometimes it hits right and it feels like the book of Acts. It feels like we're helping each other through life. And it feels like we're there for each other. It feels like we're reaching out. It feels like we're really pouring our lives into God together. It feels like we're, we're on mission. But sometimes... Sometimes life gets in the way. We don't feel that the way we should. One of the many, many challenges of 2020, and do you like the picture I chose for 2020? I think I'd have picked that a long time ago if I'd known what was going to happen this year. One of the many challenges of poor, pitiful 2020 is it's hard to feel our sense of mission. I don't know how you feel about that. Maybe you haven't wrestled with that. I'm sure not every church has wrestled with that. But a lot of churches, a lot of Christians, have felt like in all the stress of the year, it's been tough to feel like we're really on mission for God. I mean, so much is different. You've got to think about everything you do. You've got to think about, are we going to meet, and how are we going to meet, and how are we going to set it up, and, and how are we going to do the order of worship, and and and. When you, even just in regular life, can I get together with people? How many people can I get together with? How close should I stand to them? Should I have a mask? Should I not have a mask? All these things you got to think about. So much has been canceled. Even things here at church, we've had to say, we'll try VBS next year. We'll try our door knocking outreach next year. We'll, we'll try to get back to focus groups and a lot of other things next year. Just so much has been put off. And, and so it doesn't, it's hard to feel like we're, we're on mission a lot of ways, it feels like we're just trying to survive. In fact, that's the word that I've heard used a lot. I came across a 2012 uh, Psychology Today article that referenced this idea that I hear a lot today called survival mode. And here in this article, as Psychology Today was describing survival mode, the article is entitled Emotions, Survival, and Disconnection. And it says basically in the article, and I'll quote a few things, it says, when we're filled with fear or disgust or anxiety, when those times are high, those can be thought of as survival mode times and emotions. It goes on to say that when things feel okay in the world, probably not perfect, but okay in the world, we feel safe physically, we feel safe emotionally. But when we go into survival mode, just this constant emotional whirlwind going in the background. And it affects our... Patience. It affects our memory. It affects our eating or our sleep or our relationships. And that's the one it leads to that was interesting to me. It said survival mode will inevitably lead to more disconnection, including 
as it says we'll say in future articles, disconnections between what you actually do and what you truly care about. So notice that. It says you stay in survival mode long enough, if you're not careful, you begin to withdraw and disconnect from what you truly care about. And number two, from the people you truly care about. That's sort of scary to think about. If we stay in that sort of a survival mode for too long, we, we disconnect ourselves from maybe our mission, if that's what we most care about as Christians. I hope it is. Maybe even disconnect from the people we most care about if we're not careful. Boy, in a year like that, with so many struggles and so many disconnections perhaps, is there any place for God's mission with so much disconnection and so much survival mode? To explore that idea, I'd like us to look at the book of 1 Peter. If you have your Bibles, you may want to open with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. I'll have the verses on the screen like always, but you may want to have the whole context open in front of you. And here in 1 Peter, I think we'll get a hint at the relationship between difficult times and God's mission. And I hope it'll be encouraging to us and remind us of who we're trying to be. 1 Peter is written by the Apostle Peter. Five short chapters. You could read it in 20 minutes if you wanted to, maybe less. And the Apostle Peter is writing, it's, a, it's after Jesus has died and resurrected and gone back to heaven, and he's writing to Christians all over. And one of the things that is very, very clear, one thing you can't miss as you read these short five chapters, is they were in a difficult time. Things were really hard. He starts off, and then let me just put that up there for the outline, if you're keeping the outline. This was a time, not only was it difficult, it was a time of stress. It had to be. It had to be. They didn't have Psychology Today articles to tell them, you know, about survival mode, but I bet they felt it. Just look at some of the things that are going on. Here in verse 1, very start of the book, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, your translation may say strangers. He says, to those of you that are living here as strangers, that's who Christians are, and they were feeling that they were strangers, scattered around, and he names some of the places. And then notice all the suffering that comes up through the book. A few verses later in verses 6 and 7, he says, You've been distressed by various trials. You're going through a time your faith is being tested by fire, he says. In chapter 2, he goes on to say that the world, the people around you are slandering you as evildoers. They're acting like you're the bad people. In chapter 4, and I'm just going through these briefly. We'll settle into chapter 4 in just a second. But in chapter 4, he says, you're going through this fiery ordeal. He says, don't be surprised at it. Don't be surprised. And, and I always point out as I read that for myself, as I find myself surprised when bad things happen, but the Bible says, hey, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal you're going through. He says it's a time of testing for them. He says they were sharing the sufferings of Christ. He goes on in chapter 5, he says, after you suffered for a while, God will, will take you home. Notice suffering over and over and over again. What, what was happening to the Christians Peter was writing to in 1 Peter. We don't know for sure. You saw that passage in chapter 2 that says they were being slandered. I guess we can know that much. They were being called evildoers. But it may have been what was going on in the book of Acts. Now, whenever Christians came and started teaching about Jesus Christ, the Jews would get upset because we don't think Jesus is really God the way you're saying He is. Sometimes violently upset. The Romans would get upset because this was causing problems with the Jews and causing arguments. The Romans would get upset because they weren't following the Roman gods. Maybe it was just the, the general persecution that you see going on in Acts. What we do know is just 50 years after this letter was written, if it was written in the 60s AD, which it might have been, 
About 50 years later, we know we have a letter from a Roman governor who is writing the emperor, and he's saying, I need you to tell me what to do with the Christians because uh, we're, we're executing them. If they refuse to say that, if they refuse to renounce their faith, people will say, here's a Christian. So we'll bring them into court and we'll, we'll say, are you a Christian? And we'll ask them three times. And if they keep saying they are, we'll, we'll have them killed for their obstinacy. But, but is that what we're supposed to do? He says, I don't really see any crimes they're committing, but, but we're, we're doing that because that's what we think we're supposed to do. Can you give me some guidance on this? And the emperor says, no, you're doing it right. You're doing it right. Don't chase them down, but if somebody has a formal accusation they want to bring into court and says this person's a Christian, then yeah, you can you have them killed if they're not going to renounce it. By the way, that was in the area of Bithynia, which was one of those in 1 Peter 1, verse 1, that he says he's writing to. Maybe that sort of stuff was already starting. We know from a Roman historian that people looked at Christians and, and hated them. They don't follow our gods. They think their way is the only way to be saved. They, they have different sets of morals than we have. People didn't, didn't like them. They were suffering. Whatever's going on, they were suffering. Think that caused stress? Boy, I bet it did. I bet it did. If it was me, and I was one of, say, the Christians in Acts that were chased out of Jerusalem and had to go find a new home, boy, where do we live? What job am I going to do? How much do I tell my kids to talk about our faith out in public? Where do we meet on Sundays? How loud do we sing on Sundays? Boy, there had to be all sorts of hard decisions and tough things going on that they had to feel that sense of survival mode. And throughout the letter, Peter's trying to keep them going. He's saying, keep your faith strong. He reminds them that they're God's special people, and that's what Carter read for us just a minute ago. You are God's chosen people in chapter 2. He reminds them they've been saved by the precious blood of Christ in chapter 1. And one of the common themes that comes up a couple times, I think is most clearly stated here in chapter 4. And he starts off in verse 8, and notice how he starts the verse. Above all, whenever an inspired apostle says something like, above all, I think that's something worth listening to. He doesn't say, above all, just make it through. Just make it through till things get better. Just keep a low profile. Stay low. We'll get back to work one day. He doesn't say that. He says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Peter says, above all, you make sure you are showing love to one another in the church. You might recognize that as one of the foundational missions of Christ's church. In fact, Christ, the night that he was going to be betrayed, he said, hey, a new commandment I give to you, John 13, 34 and 35, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another. That's part of our, I read one person that said, in studying for this lesson, it's part of the foundational, basic mission of the church, that we show love for each other. Peter says, make sure you don't let that get left behind. And all the stresses and all the struggles and all the decisions, don't leave behind what you're supposed to be doing for each other as God's people. Keep loving one another. Had to be hard for them like it is for us. And then he goes on and he, he, he points out a few things. And I want to point out the word fervent before I look at three things that follow this verse. But notice that word, keep fervent in your love for one another. Keep fervent. Keep on Loving. The word is, is sometimes used of Jesus stretching out his hand to heal someone. 
So it has that idea of, of stretching out, of, of being constant, putting effort in. Put effort into loving one another. They might have needed to put effort in in times of difficulty, just like we might as well. But then he's got three things that follow that I think all fit with that how you show love to one another idea. The first one is he's saying forgive each other. Forgive one another, I think, is there in verse 8. You notice that love one another phrase. And then what did, what did the rest of that verse say? Because love covers a multitude of sins. People have had questions about that sometimes. Sometimes people say, does that mean if I show love for you, God will cover my sins? I don't think that's what's going on here. I don't see anywhere in Scripture that if I show love to you, it somehow covers more of my sins. I think what it's saying is, when I'm showing love to you, I cover over the sins I see in you. In other words, I'm going to be forgiving of you. I'm going to be patient, and you're going to be the same for me. If, you're, if your kid does something wrong, usually you're more, you're more likely to forgive more quickly when it's your child or when it's someone you care about, because you love this person. There's a relationship there. Whereas you might not feel quite as eager to forgive if it's someone that's not as closely connected. But if we truly love people that we're supposed to, if we love each other, even when we see imperfections in each other, and we will, he says, you cover over those. I can really overlook that. It's not a deal breaker for me because we, we love each other. He goes on to say, be hospitable to one another. Be hospitable. Hospitality was an even bigger deal in the first century. They had inns, but not great ones. They weren't, they weren't our hotels today. People would travel around. Christian missionaries would travel around. and almost needed Christians to let people stay in their homes as they went around. It was an even bigger deal then than it is today. But he says there, be hospitable to one another. There's another one of those one another phrases. Without complaint. Without complaint. Don't just do it and complain about it, Peter says. Be hospitable. And that idea of hospitable, I think, carries the idea of you're trying to make sure people feel at home. They feel loved. They feel appreciated. They have what they need. That can be done in a home. That can be done in a, in a place of worship. That can be done in life or, where you're trying to make sure people feel like they're welcome and they're loved and they have what they need. Then he adds a third way you love each other. He says, use your gifts to serve one another. Use your gifts to serve one another. Verse 10, he says, As each one has received a special gift. I always know how people understand those ideas, but the New Testament has a lot of passages that make clear we have different gifts. I know there were miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit in the first century, but there's, there's lists like Romans 12, like I think he's talking about here as well, that aren't miraculous gifts. They're just, they're just gifts God has given you in life. It's not speaking in tongues, or it's, it's, not, it's not prophecy like they had in the first century, but it's the ability to, to, to do something in life that you can use for the Lord. God's given you unique circumstances Unique talents, unique interests, unique relationships, unique experiences. What does that verse say? It says, use those not just for yourself, but employ it in serving one another. I, I don't want my gifts to only be for me. I want them to be for you. And God says, you should, only want, you should not just want your gifts to be for you. You should want them to be for one another in the church. It says, when you're doing that, you're being good stewards. A steward is somebody who's been handed something. It's their job to do the right thing with it. 
being good stewards of the gifts God has given you when you use them to serve other people. It goes on in verse 11, he says, Whoever speaks is to do it as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, what's the point of us serving each other in God's strength? So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. We don't seek to glorify ourselves through our serving each other. We don't seek to say, look at me and all I've done when we serve each other. We serve one another to to glorify God, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In the midst of all their suffering, Peter says, don't forget to love each other, forgiving each other, making sure each other have what you need, using your gifts to serve each other. What a great reminder for 2020. What a great reminder that even in difficult times, there's still something we're supposed to be doing as God's people. Peter's command points us back to the most basic mission of the church. Perhaps the reason Jesus established a church to begin with. He could have just turned everybody loose to serve God on on our our own and your own, but but he, he brought us together to serve together. He wants us to care for each other. There's other parts of our mission. We'll get into those some next week. But the most basic one is that we love each other. We try to take care of each other. And I think you'd agree, in stressful times, we need this part of God's mission even more. This is not the time to disconnect. This is not the time to get caught up in survival mode and withdraw from what's most important and who is most important. We need this. We need it in several ways. First of all, we need the reminder because it's, it's tougher to show love when you're frustrated in life. If you're like a lot of people, you wake up and you're not 15 minutes into the day before you remember what's going on in the world and remember all the frustrations. You find yourself in a bad mood if you're not careful before you leave the house. You put on the mask to go in wherever you're going, and that gives another round of frustration reminders about the world. It's harder to show love to other people when you're already frustrated at everything. There's sometimes it's easy. When life seems great, it's easy to overflow and, and pass that along to other people. But the times when we're struggling ourselves, that's when it's harder. And we need the reminder that says, hey, you keep, keep fervently showing love for each other. Keep forgiving. Keep showing hospitality. Keep using your gifts for one another. We need the reminder. We also need it because not only are we frustrated, everybody else is hurting. You've probably seen the articles and heard the news stories about the way mental health is really struggling with people this year. That anxiety rates are three times higher in people than they were last year. I saw among college students, 41%. Um, are showing signs of depression. I heard somebody say this last week that suicide rates are the highest and, and people thinking about suicide are the highest they've been since World War II. Well, if all that stuff's even half true, we need each other, don't we? This is the time for us to wrap our arms around each other. This is the time to make sure people know they're loved as God's people. We also need it. We also need it for our own self to get past some things. I heard a podcast about Christianity a 
couple weeks ago, and he was saying, even if it's not depression, he said he feels like a lot of Christians have a, have a numb feeling right now. And maybe not just Christians, maybe everybody has a, has a numb feeling with all the stuff that's going on. And he was saying, maybe what that Psychology Today article was saying, he said, if you're not careful with that numb feeling, it's an inward turn. You just you turn to yourself and you just think about all the struggles, just roll them around in your mind. He said, one of the best things you can do for yourself when you're feeling that inward turn of struggle is to start reaching outside yourself and start saying, who can I serve? And, and by doing that, it helps you move past some of that numbness and some of that, that boiling over of frustration because I'm starting now to reach outside of myself. Maybe he's right about that. For those and maybe a lot of other reasons, in times of stress, we need that love one another mission even more, even more. And you might be thinking, that sounds great. <laughs> you know, I, I want to do that, but, but how, do you find the, how do you find the emotional energy for that? With all, that's, with all our own frustrations, how do you find the emotional energy to, to reach out and, and show love to, to other people? And I hope you noticed in 1 Peter 4.11, he says we serve one another by the strength which God supplies. God gives the strength. If I will commit myself to the mission of God, I will go forward in the strength of God because He will help along the way. And that's taught all over the Bible. Some of our, our favorite verses are verses about how if I will just take the step and try to do what God wants me to do, He will provide the strength. I think about Isaiah 40, 31, where he says, Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Not because of themselves. God gives that strength. In Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or Him who strengthens me. You notice the capital H in the New American Standard Translation. Over and over, the Bible tells us if we will try to do what God wants us to do, He will provide the strength. If I will commit myself to the mission of God, I will go forward in the strength of God. Even in a difficult time, we still have a mission. And we're trying to do our best as God's people to fulfill that mission. And some of the best news I've heard all year in a year of bad news has been hearing some of the great things you and our church family have been doing for one another. I was talking to a family this last week and just asking, can the the church do anything to help? And you all were way ahead of us. The the guy on the other end of the phone, he mentioned someone's name, said she brought over enough food for an army. We're, We're okay. We've heard people talk about calls just to check in and see how people are doing. We've heard people talk about deliveries being made and cards being sent. I'm sure we can do even better, and I hope we'll do even better. That's the spirit we want to continue, the spirit of loving each other. I want to end with one more look at that John 13 passage where Jesus says, that new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you that you love one another. Verse 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I want us to notice there that Jesus is the source and the example of our loving each other. He leads the way like He does in everything else. He comes here. He suffers for us. He goes through life for us. He goes through Gethsemane for us. He goes through the cross for us. All the pain of the cross, the beatings, the agony, the shame, goes through all that with love as His motivation for us. 
And so then, with His forgiveness given through His love and with His example of love to us, we then pass that along. Like everything else, He is the source. We pass it along to everybody else. So my encouragement this morning is that you and I will do our best to be truly followers of Jesus, who even through difficulty, out of love, shows God's love, even in difficult times. Let's love one another fervently, forgiving each other, showing hospitality to each other, and using our gifts to serve one another. Let's pray together. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for loving us first and for loving us most. We're so thankful for the example of Jesus who shows us self-sacrificial love and whose sacrifice gives us forgiveness and strength. God, I pray that we will all, as your people, continue that mission of showing love for other Christians, for your church. God, I pray that you'll give us the strength to keep reaching out beyond ourselves, to help hold each other up the way you want us to in a difficult time. And I pray, God, you'll bless us in all of that, that we can show people we're truly your disciples. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, we encourage you more than anything else to become a Christian. If you haven't thought about it, be thinking about it. If you haven't studied about it, be studying about it. As you pull together all the New Testament says about how you become a Christian, I think this is what you'll find. You hear about Jesus, there's that learning process. And as you learn about Him, you believe in it. As you believe in Jesus Christ, that He is the Son of God, that He's the Savior of the world, you make this commitment to turn your life around that the Bible calls repentance. And then you confess your faith publicly in Jesus Christ, have your sins washed away in baptism. We'd love to talk with you about that. Please reach out to us anytime, either after services, talk in the parking lot afterwards, or anytime this week. We'd love to help you any way we can. Or if we can pray for you, we are trying to hold each other up in our faith. If we can help pray for you about anything, please, please let us know. We're about to have a closing song and then a special announcement and then a closing prayer. And after that closing prayer, we're going to exit from the back by rows, and our usher is already getting ready to help us with that. We do ask that you exit to the parking lot where we can visit with each other out there at appropriate distances. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning.